0: So, I'm beginning a brand new series of lessons through the month of November entitled Chairs. And amazingly, it's an amazing truth, but there is a lot of scripture that has to do with the subject matter of chairs. And so, this morning, I'm thankful that we've all pulled up a chair and we're going to be able to learn about this great subject matter as it's given to us in God's Word. So, what do chairs represent? What's the significance of a chair in scripture for specifically for this morning's message? I'm going to be talking about a piece of furniture where we sit and where we have conversations, where we sit and where we have conversation. These conversations take place one of three ways. Primarily, someone invites us to pull up a chair. Someone compels us to pull up a chair or sometimes it's just our own inquisitive nature that we pull up a chair and join in on a conversation. So that's usually how we end up sitting with other people, is by invitation, by compulsion, or we're just inquisitive. We overheard a conversation and we were like, hey, 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 do you mind if I pull up a chair and talk to you and talk with you about this subject matter? And that can take place in a lot of different locations. Primarily, you know, we think in today's culture, restaurants, coffee shops, but It can also take place in our homes, our residencies, on your back deck and just any number of places it can happen. Psalms 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The word blessed is one that I think all of us are familiar with in one way or another. The word blessed, when Scripture announces a blessing, it means that you're fortunate, you're envied by others. It denotes a sense of happiness or fulfillment that we have. You know, most people, when they do something well consistently over a period of time, it brings a sense of fulfillment to their life. And, and that creates the emotion of happiness, And so when the Lord pronounces a blessing upon us and said, you're blessed, there is a sense of fulfillment that we derive from that. And it causes us to feel a little giddy, a little happy. We get a little childlike smile on our face and we just think we are Lord. We are blessed because of you. But it also has this meaning and one that I I think is very significant with our subject matter. It means to be prosperous in one's soul and body. When someone is blessed, we think of someone who is doing well physically and emotionally. We think that that person is blessed. We even put it in those kind of terms. Wow, you're so blessed. You have good health or you're so blessed. You still have a sound mind. And and the reality is our blessing is the result of Christ and Christ alone. I mean, he is our portion, he is our cup, and he causes that cup to overflow. And therefore, we count ourselves to be blessed. And the Lord said there's a category of people that are in the earth that can be recognized as blessed. Other people sometimes envy them or spite them, sometimes derade them, berate them. But, you know, I, I wouldn't exchange the blessing of the Lord for anything. Not the acceptance of man, not the approval of man, not the accolades of man, not the wealth of man, because to walk in the blessing of the Lord is a tremendous honor. And we choose that path. We choose the path that we walk on. And scripture gives us really good insight in the first verse of the first psalm, which is really the song book of the nation of Israel, God begins by reminding his people there's a path I want you to walk on and there's a plan that I have for you to where you're going to be like a tree and this tree is going to be, in the end, it's going to be very, very prosperous and it's going to have leaves on it and it's and it's going to be the envy of all other trees and that's what God wants us to be, not so that we are glorified but so that we can give the glory of God. I find it to be... um, a point of of opportunity that when someone is is uh, inquisitive about another individual, they ask, well, you know, you really look good for your age. And people say that to me all the time now. And I, I just always say, "Well, well, just thank you. I can't take the credit. I have to give the credit to Charlene because Charlene takes really good care of me. And we have an adage that we have in our house now, and Luke and I have adopted it, and it's become part of our mantra, and that is Charlene's uh, adage is this, you will eat it and you will like it. And I, I can say that there are some things that, that, you know, I looked at and I didn't know if by looking at it if I liked it, but then after a while of seeing the results that it produced, I liked it. I may not have liked it initially, but it grew on me. It grew on me, and over a period of time, I like the results, I like the way I feel, I like the way that, you know, it, it has uh, changed me, and, uh, but, and, and I would say, well, thank you. You know, I'm blessed because of Charlene. She's really done the yeoman's work, and, and I am the benefactor. And the same thing can be said to us as Christians. When people look at us and they say, "You know, your countenance looks bright, your eyes look clear, and your gait looks strong, and you look good," and and I, I, we have to say, is it honestly? That's not because of us. It's because the Lord has shined His face upon us and and lifted our countenance, and the Lord has been good to us and faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. He can't deny Himself. Denied our. Uh, Despite our sinfulness, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. And he loves us with that unconditional love. He is constantly, you know, cheerleading for us. Thanks be to God for his great love. Because of Jesus Christ, we are the blessed of the Lord. So, but there's also this other word in the first song, scornful. And let me share with you what this word means in scripture it's it's akin do you know what that means it's a relative to it's a relative to scoffing and mocking wow scoffing mocking and scorning are all synonyms they run together it means to ridicule to belittle to be contemptuous towards or disrespectful towards another human being means to laugh at someone to taunt them to jeer In a manner of devaluing and disregarding their purpose or their goodness because of God. It can also be levied towards institutions or towards those that are in authority. And when scripture tells us do not sit in the seat of the scornful, it does so to protect us. It does so to protect us. And I want to share with you three things that it protects us from. It protects us from becoming defiled. That means soiled, contaminated. You know, your soul can become soiled and contaminated if you sit and begin to converse and interact with people. That are scornful, that are mockers. That devalue others. That despise others. That belittle others. It impacts your soul. What you hear impacts you. Environment matters. The people you're around. It creates an environment. Words create an environment. They create imagery. They shape image. They forge faith. Or they degrade it. So we have to choose where we sit very wisely. And that's why the psalmist says. You know. There's a place I don't want you to sit. Because sit means almost as if we are complying and in agreement with the conversation. That we're all in. That what you say, I agree with. And that I'm wholeheartedly on your side. And so that's the context in which this scripture is given to us in Psalm 1. It's not, it's not talking about sitting with someone and, uh, you taking one side of the coin and them taking the other. It was saying, when you're invited by a scornful person, a person that has a reputation of belittling others, devaluing others, disrespecting others, pass up on that opportunity, even if you're inquisitive as to what they have to say or the conversation where it may lead, even, even if it's pulling on you and just don't pull up a chair. Do not pull up a chair in that moment, lest you become defiled. The second thing that can happen if we if we grab a seat with those that are scornful is that we become deceived. The darkness in them becomes light to us. And Jesus said that is the most dangerous form of deception is when we call evil, good and good, evil. And he said, beware, beware. Jesus is giving us a warning. Lest the light in you be darkness. Some people say, I just want to illuminate you. I just want to, you know, get you caught up on the current times. I just want to fill you in on the facts of what's really happening. Pull up a chair. I've got something I want to say to you. It's like the spider saying to the fly, pull up a chair. I have a web I want to weave around you. And pretty soon becomes entrapped and deceived. We have to be careful of the cunning craftiness of the enemy and how he You know, tries to set the table for us through an invitation or just through a compulsion. Come on, come on. You need to know what I know. I have something to say to you that will make your life more valuable, make you more important, cause you to be more promotable, cause you to have more money and influence. It's the it's the bait, but be careful because there's a hook with it. And the, and the third thing that we have to be careful of if we partake in the seat is, is first it can ensoil us or defile us. It could deceive us. The third thing I think is maybe the end of what happens if you sit in this chair long enough and that is you and I become deaf. We can't hear. We can't hear the still small voice of the Lord anymore because our heart has become hard. We've taken an offense with whoever we're sitting with. Whatever their sin is becomes our sin. Whatever their battle becomes becomes our battle. Whatever their issues are become our issues. And that's something we have to avoid. And the Lord has given us wisdom and counsel to avoid. This position from becoming defiled, deceived and deaf. You know, it's a sad thing when when someone physically can't hear, but it's even sadder when someone can't sense or hear the still small voice of Christ anymore. There was a there's two contemporaries that graduated with Billy Graham. Billy Graham went on, as we know, and had a a very, very fruitful ministry. But one of his contemporaries really wrestled with some of the things of the Lord and ended up, you know, sort of walking away from Christ and walking away from his faith. And later on in his years, uh, Billy Graham sought him out as an act of compassion and kindness and found him in a single bedroom apartment in Chicago and knocked on his door and there was a voice on the other side of the door asking who was it and he said this is Billy Graham and he opened up the door and Billy looked at him and he said how are you doing my friend and he said "Uh, I'm not doing well Billy I feel like I am uh, perpetually lost and they sat down and they conversed and Billy Graham ended up asking his friend he said How are you with Jesus? How are you with your Savior? And the man said, I haven't heard for years. I can't hear anymore. Have I gone too far? And Billy Graham, as humble of a man as he was, you know, just got down on his knees and prayed that his heart would become softened again so he could hear the still small voice of the Savior. You know, seats are important. When God says, don't sit certain places, he knows what he's talking about. At that point, we should not debate or discuss or have some kind of negotiating conversation with the Lord. But Lord, I'm going there to change them. Lord, I'm I'm going there to serve them. Lord, I'm going there to help them. You you know, if I don't go, who's going to go? And the Lord is saying to us, be careful. That's a slippery slope. Your intentions might be right. They might be honorable. They might be pure. But you could become unpure by being there. You could become hurt by being there. You could become contaminated by being there. Be careful. Pray for them. They still have choices to make where they can get out of that chair and go to another one. That we'll talk about here in a minute. So I want to sit in this chair and I want to share with you three examples from Scripture. Three examples from Scripture of where people displayed scornful, belittling, mocking, scoffing kind of behavior. The first is found in the book of Genesis. It's back in a day where the Lord warned Noah and said, there's going to be a flood that comes. And uh, that was, uh, wow. And it's going to cover the whole earth. And I want you to prepare an ark For the saving of humanity. And there's a lot of dynamics to this story. But you know you're hundreds of miles inland. It had never rained. uh, No one had ever built a boat. I mean there's a lot of things. That I imagine Noah had questions and concerns about. But scripture said about Noah. That he moved with godly fear. And he began to build. But while he was building. It said that he grew up in in a generation where. People just belittled and made fun of him and mocked and scoffed and devalued him and thought he was crazy and needed to be institutionalized until one day when the heavens gave way and the fountains of the waters of the deep broke and what God said came to pass. And there's a lot of people that in today's society are mocking and scoffing and believers that are promoting the second coming of the Lord, that the Lord's going to return soon, that the signs of the times are around us, they're evident. Even Peter in his writings said, in the end times, the world would be filled of those that are mocking and scoffing and belittling the people of God and the person of God. That's one of the indicators that the day of the Lord is at hand. And and we can see that. The second example that I want to share with you is there was a, a man that was chosen by the Lord. He was a Nazarene. His name was Samson. And as long as he stayed on the path that God had for him and was fulfilling the purpose that the Lord had called him to do, then the Lord blessed him. And he was a mighty man, a strong man. And while he had, you know, some interesting taste in women and he had some issues within his own character And was a bit of an egotist. When he obeyed the Lord, he was blessed. And he was mighty and he was strong. Did great exploits for the Lord. But there came a time where, you know, he shared things that he shouldn't have shared. And it ended up costing him his sight and his strength. But he made a a prayer while he was standing captivity in the midst of a big party. That the Philistines were having. And at this party. They put Samson. In the middle of the room. Put him next to two pillars. And everyone in the house. Began to make fun of him. Laugh at him. Scoff him. And mock him. His prayer was this. God would you grant your servant. One more act of strength. And in this act of strength. Would you show yourself to be mighty? And the Lord was merciful and gracious, answered that prayer. And the pillars came down and God brought a victory that day. The third is an example from the New Testament. The greatest example in the New Testament is Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, people sat in this chair right here. Scoffed, mocked, belittled, devalued, threatened. Disrespected, disregarded who Christ was. Made statements like, if you're the son of God, come down. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? You're the one that said, if you destroy this temple in three days, this temple will be built or resurrected again. Not understanding, he was using that as a metaphor for his own life and his own resurrection. The building being symbolic to his body. And those people that mocked and scoffed and belittled walked by. A thief on the cross that challenged him. But another thief, if we really consider the end of the story, that quieted. The thief and said, we only get what we have coming. This man is a holy and a righteous man. And Jesus remembered him and said that he would be with him in paradise on that day. This is not a good chair. This chair right here, you know, leads us into really bad places emotionally and it can affect us physically. It can undermine our faith. It creates a lot of regret, a lot of pain, a lot of shame in our lives. So I want to encourage each and every one of us, be very wise where you sit. Even if you're inquisitive and inquisitive minds, what do inquisitive minds want? They want to know. (laughs) They want to know. All right, there's another seat. There's another seat that scripture talks about that we're called to occupy. One that we're called to pull up and, and come to often. But before I get to that seat, let me remind you where you are seated. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us, beginning in the first verse. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And those that are online will put these verses up for you. And it says this. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sinned. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's what's behind what's going on in much of the world or the culture today. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Just as others, we were in the same category as everyone else. If you are comfortable writing in your Bible and I would encourage you to be comfortable writing in your Bible, I would put the initials B.C. by these first several verses. And what that means is this is where we all were before Christ without exception. This is where every single one of us was before God. But notice verse four. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So where are we today, positionally? Well, we're in Christ, and where is Christ? Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And since we're in Christ, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're actually seated, Scripture says, above principalities, powers, mights, dominions, and every name that is named. This is the work of God's redemptive hand. This is the grace of God. And yes, this is the mercy and the goodness of God. We simply responded by faith, coming to him as a sinner, recognizing our need for forgiveness. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us were alienated from the promises of God. All of us were separated from God. And the only one that could bring us back into union and relationship is Jesus Christ. Can I get a hearty amen? Amen. And his work on the cross was so thorough and so complete that it exalted us to a position where we're seated in Christ. He pulled us out of this scornful seat. I, I've sat in this seat. I I have been a contributor, and an initiator of these conversations. Can I get a witness? I I have bent someone's ear. Because I had a morsel that I I thought that would you know somehow if I put somebody else's light out that would make mine shine brighter. But all I did was make the world darker. Christians should not be known for what they protest, but for who we worship, for who we serve, for who we love, for the life that he has given unto us and the eternal life that is to come. We should be known as people of praise. We should not just be people that praise the Lord on Sunday and Wednesday, but throughout the course of our life, we should be known as those that have on a garment of praise. And we have removed the spirit of heaviness. Sitting in this chair gets pretty heavy. Devaluing, degrading, belittling, mocking, scoffing. Disrespecting others. It sucks the air out of the room and out of your lungs and out of your spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. But thanks be to God that Christ came when we were in this seat And offered us another seat. And how did he do it? Listen to me. It's the same way that you got in this seat. Satan pulled you into this seat by invitation. By compelling you. Or by pulling on your inquisitive nature. Did God really say? Will he really do? Right? The same way our Savior comes and invites us. Compels us to come and sit with him. And pulls on our inquisitive nature. One example. Moses running from God. What. A story that is. Backside of the wilderness. Thought enough time had gone through the hourglass. That surely. God couldn't find him. And if he did. He'd change his mind about using him. But God never changes his mind. About what he wants us to do. And he always knows where we're at. So the Lord shows up and finds Moses. Backside of the wilderness. And because he's not responding to come sit in this seat through invitation. Or through compulsion. God shows up in the middle of a tree. And the tree is burning but not consumed. Now I have a few years of experience with catching things on fire. One of the things that's fun about watching something burn is watching it turn into nothing. It would catch my attention too if I caught something on fire and all it did was remain the same. So he gets close enough and what does the Lord do? The Lord shocks him by saying, Moses, Moses, in other words, I knew where you were, you rascal, you can't play hide and seek from me. But why don't you do me a favor? Take your shoes off because what is about to happen to you is going to change your path forever. God has a way of showing up and pulling at us through our inquisitive nature. But we're seated in heavenly places. So how's the practical aspect of this lived out every single day in our life? How do, we, how do we apply this position that God has asked us, pull up a chair. I've moved you out of that chair. I've pulled you out of that chair. I've delivered you out of that chair. And I've set a table for you with this chair. What does it look like? Well, Psalms 91 gives us a perfect picture. Now, I'm going to close with this. If you go to the, the 91st Psalm. And once again, we'll be putting this scripture reading up. For everyone to look at who doesn't have a copy of scripture. Psalms 91 says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When I started this message, I said the word chair, sit, seated is all throughout Scripture. Well, it really is. It's in this first portion of the first verse of the ninety first Psalm. And you really honestly, I didn't know that till this week. I'm not embarrassed by that. It just shows me the depth of God's word. I'm not ashamed to say that I don't know everything in the Bible. I haven't. Arrived. I I don't have full illumination or full light. I I have no trouble acknowledging that, because I think it's a text that we'll be looking at for all eternity. And so to think that I'm going to distract all of the light and all the revelation while I'm here for my short stay is absolute. You know, it's not even realistic, is it? So when I say I was amazed. I don't say that as a point of trying to sell something or to be cued. I was amazed. You know the word dwell here. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high implies. A seat that needs to be occupied. A place to sit. He who sits. Occupies. Settles down. We use the word abide. King James, New King James, other translations use the word dwell. You know, we would say stay at. Well, how are you going to stay somewhere? You don't stay somewhere standing. I never went to a hotel and just stood there. I'm I'm going to get a hotel room and I'm not going to use the bed. I'm not going to use a chair. I'm just going to stand here. Well, that's really silly. So God says, pull up a chair. It's by invitation, compulsion, or it could be through an inquisitive. Work of God that pulled us in to sit at this chair and notice what it says. If I choose to sit in this chair. I'll learn a lot more about where I'm seated in heavenly places, how the Lord works in my life, because he's already placed me there as as his own says, I'm going to I will abide under the shadow of the almighty. I'm in a. Really good environment. We could put it that way. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. There's no belittling, no degrading, no mocking, no scoffing God. When we're in this chair, we're like, the environment's incredible. As a matter of fact, I feel like I'm in a fortress. I feel in this chair like I'm loved and protected. I feel secure and safe. I never felt that way over in that chair. I always felt like, you know, I had to get one more dig, make one more sarcastic statement, one more barb, one more little funny joke. Always was, you know, looking for attention and acceptance over here. I feel like I don't have to do anything but sit here like the environment is so restful and peaceful. It's like my enemies. Are really having a hard time getting to me. (laughs) I choose this chair. Just like I chose that one at one time. I choose this chair because Christ chose me. He predestined me for this chair. He predestined you for this chair. That's the predestination of God. To switch chairs. Pull up a chair with God. Listen to what he has to say. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler and you shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you lash Lest you, dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.